This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Little techno party music. Oh, yes. You know why we're partying. It's Here We Go, a Steeler show. And we are absolutely excited still with the Pittsburgh Steelers beating on Christmas Eve Eve, or like we like to call since the 1990s, Festivus for the rest of us. They beat the Cincinnati Bengals. They are now eight and seven on the season. It was a definitive 34 to 11 victory and they got off the schneid of a December slide. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. My host here is Kevin Smith and we are ready to roll. Kevin, how are you feeling, man? <laughs> I feel pretty good, Brian. Did, did you see that coming? 34 to 11 over uh, the Bengals? No. And I picked against them and uh, I, which I had good reason to. I just didn't feel it. Momentum was in Cincinnati's quarter. Cincinnati, you think they came in cocky, Kevin? Um, I, I honestly, I don't think that they came in cocky. I think the Steelers put together a really good game plan. It picked them off. And Pittsburgh did some things that they haven't been able to do in, in recent weeks. And the formula for winning that football game was really the formula for winning every football game, which is create explosive plays on offense and create turnovers on defense. And when you do those things, you tend to win. So I don't, I think, you know, Jake Brown Browning uh, made some, some bad choices with some balls, got fooled by the coverage in some situations that led to those turnovers. And then obviously the Steelers were able to shake George Pickens loose for those explosive plays. And when you consider uh, how Pittsburgh was able to win the game. I think it was less of a, a product of Cincinnati being a certain way and more a product of the Steelers playing their best football in a while. I think we learn so much more after a win from Mike Tomlin than we do from a loss. And his comments about all three phases of the game, the Steelers got it done on offense, defense, and special teams. And his post-game press conference was really interesting. And keep in mind, there's another press conference coming up on Tuesday, which is today. And you're going to see here everything about this win and going forward playing Seattle. But one thing that I noticed, it's he gave props to the guys that stepped in, but he didn't want to give too much to any player whether it be Mason Rudolph, whether it be George Pickens, uh, whether it be Patrick Peterson, or whether it be Eric Rowe. He didn't want to give way too much praise because there's still work to be done. But he did say one of the first things he said is, we're going to have a Merry Christmas. And that was the third line of the press conference. And so you got to think that 
this was a Christmas miracle for the fans, but this is a team that finally unwrapped their potential. Well, it's interesting because one, you know, you have to be careful with how you dole out your accolades to a young team because you don't want them to get complacent. Obviously coming off of three bad losses in a row, this was a necessary win, uh, a win that it's a relief to a lot of people, but also a win that is only part of the broader process. The Steelers need to win the next two and they need help and their playoff chances are still very slim. So while there's, while there are things to celebrate in the, in the short term, the bigger picture is still pretty daunting. So obviously I don't think Mike Tomlin wants anybody to feel complacent. As far as uh, it being a great Christmas, of course, though, you know, you, you're, you, you wouldn't be human if you didn't sort of see that aspect of it. I, I mean, uh, if the Steelers had lost 34 to 11, think about our vibe right now. We'd all be just be kind of like, oh, whatever, blah, 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 we got to talk about this and Merry Christmas. It, it really it really is amazing as a fan how much of an impact the success or lack thereof the Steelers can have on your on your mood, on your on your outlook, all of that. So, yeah, man, I mean, as a human being, I think Mike Tomlin is right to feel you know, jovial right now. It always feels good going into the holiday when they win, and that's the feeling that Steeler Nation got. Uh, it was a fantastic feeling, but it's the way that they did it, and that's what we need to break down. How did this whole thing happen? And it starts at quarterback, and what did you see in Mason Rudolph that, is different than not just Kenny Pickett, but Mitch Trubisky? Yeah, good question. So three things. I'll, I'll highlight three things. One, he read coverage. And it started on, on the first pass of the game, Pittsburgh's second offensive play of the game, where he hits George Pickens for an 86-yard touchdown pass. And that's man, it's the, Cincinnati's in man coverage, and the Steelers run a, a slant-flat concept to the short side of the field. You have Connor Hayward lined up like a slot and he runs a flat route and Pickens runs a little slant and Rudolph diagnoses the coverage properly. He, he lets the, the alley player who's covering Hayward, he lets him run to the flat and he, and he waits until the alley clears. And then he throws the slant to Pickens, which is, which is coming over the top of it. Um, and, and he puts it right on the money and he doesn't just put it on the money, but he puts it in a spot where Pickens can catch it in stride. And that's huge because the safety now doesn't take a great angle. And the fact that Pickens can catch that ball in stride means he's moving full speed when he catches it. And that little bit of a misstep by the safety allows Pickens to beat him up the field. And from that point, it's a foot race and nobody's going to catch him. So, so reading coverage one accuracy, right? Boy, did he throw some accurate footballs? Uh, the, the, the two deep balls that he hit to Pickens, the, the 44-yarder and the 66-yarder, they were absolute dimes. Um, so, so between reading the coverage as well, and there was a couple instances in which, you know, you saw him do an excellent job of that, putting the ball on the money. And then the third thing, pocket composure, not bailing out of the pocket. Not, you know, just being able to sort of create a little bit of space in the pocket. He did that on, on several throws. There's a really nice little one that he does on Pittsburgh's second touchdown drive where on third and five, uh, he, he looks for his, his first two reads. There's nothing open rather than bail, which, you know, we've, we've seen Pickett and Trubisky do that over and over again. Just kind of, I don't want to say panic, but man, they just leave the pocket too early. Instead, Rudolph just sort of 
takes a two little quick little slide steps to his right and then dumps the ball down to Jalen Warren coming out of the backfield as his outlet receiver. Warren rumbles for about 20 yards to extend the drive and the Steelers go back to four. And that's just a little, you know, it's an NFL quarterback play. Uh, and so those are the three big things I noted, right? Reading coverage as well, throwing accurate footballs and having great pocket presence. It all added up to a huge day. Is there a quarterback controversy in Pittsburgh now? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, we we have to keep this into perspective. There's a reason why Mason Rudolph has been riding the bench for the last two and a half years. We don't see it every day in practice. We don't know what it is. Is it is it the fact that they paid Mr. Trubisky a significant sum of money and that they feel like he needs to be the backup because of that salary? They're not going to pay him that money to be the number three. Is that the reason? Uh, or is is it a legitimate issue with in terms of of what what those guys do on the day-to-day at the practice facility i I don't know the answer to that but we should all be excited about what mason rudolph just did but we also can't forget that when he was getting the full-time reps he wasn't very good so as far as what that means going forward a controversy i don't know how healthy kenny pickett is if he's cleared for the seattle game and mike tomlin faces an interesting decision I know that if I were Mike Tomlin, I would start Rudolph again. I think that Rudolph earned the confidence and the trust of his teammates. And I think the chemistry he developed with George Pickens in and of itself is enough to give him another start. Pickens is a game changer for this offense when he is uh, heavily involved in the offense. And Rudolph got him involved like nobody else. And for that reason alone, I'd start Rudolph again against Seattle. Now, now does that make it a controversy? I don't know. But, you know, Tomlin's going to have a tough decision. Yeah, I think it's very tough. We debated this on the post-game show the other day. And all I'm going to say is I don't know where you go with this. I don't know how healthy Kenny Pickett's going to be. He did practice last week. So the indication is that he will be ready based on the past with this surgery. It took him 26 days before when he was at Pitt after having the tightrope surgery. And now he's going to get an opportunity again 28 days later to go ahead and play against Seattle, possibly. So it's going to be interesting to see what they go ahead and do. But I took a lot of heat for saying that, yeah, you're probably going to see Kenny Pickett because this is not going to be a Wally Pip type situation. If you don't know who Wally Pip is, uh, I know Kevin and I do, but he's the guy who <laughs> Lou Gehrig replaced and never came out. So, yeah, I'm not saying that's a situation here. A lot of people are already criticizing whatever the uh, decisions go to be made by saying, well, you can't go ahead and just play Pickett because he's a number one pick. And I don't think that's the case here. I think there's a progression. And what Mike Tomlin wanted to see from Mitch Trubisky was the progression of his play to make sure he wasn't knee-jerk in ripping him out. And they had a great week of practice before the Indianapolis game. So they, and all indications were that things were going to be okay when they got up 13-0 and it fell apart. So was Mike Tomlin basically playing the progressions? That's a great question. I don't know exactly what Mike Tomlin was was doing as far as his thought process is concerned. I had read that they were 
strongly considering going with Mason Rudolph against the Colts, but that they worried about his, you know, him being too rusty. And that when it was sort of a toss up between whether to go with Trubisky or Rudolph, that that factored in the, the thought that, hey, Rudolph, after two and a half years on the bench, won't be ready. But Trubisky was just so bad against the Colts that I don't think that they had an alternative. I don't I don't think you could have justified playing Trubisky again in the Cincinnati game. So uh, so whatever that process came down to, the calculus is going to be different for the Seattle game. And I think you're right, Brian. I think he'll be criticized whatever he does, especially if it doesn't work out. If Rudolph, if they start Rudolph and he goes out there and he plays poorly, uh, then everybody's going to obviously say, well, you should have started Pickett and, and vice versa. If they win, then he's going to be a genius, right? Whatever his decision is. So it's really going to come down to the result. And then, of course, uh, everybody in hindsight making their decision on his decision. It indeed will. So let's continue through this entire thing. And something you brought up when talking about Mason Rudolph's success was getting George Pickens involved. Do you think that's a Mason Rudolph thing? Or do you think that was from Mike Tomlin? Well, Pickens after the game said that uh, that Rudolph seemed more willing to throw the deep ball. And that's an interesting thing because whether or not Kenny Pickett is, is uh, hesitant to pull the trigger on those deep throws uh, is an interesting question. I don't know what what the reason that Pickett hasn't been able to push the ball down the field more successfully. Trubisky just can't do it. He, he was never an accurate deep ball thrower before he came to Pittsburgh. He proved not to be one while in Pittsburgh. So that's a, you know, that, that question is easy to answer as to why Pickett wasn't able to do it. I'm not sure. Was it a scheme thing? Was it a, a quarterback thing? But either way, Rudolph, who, if you, if you remember back, man, when Rudolph was in college, he and former Steeler James Washington had a tremendous relationship and, and built much of that off of the deep ball. Washington had a, really high yards per catch average as a college wide receiver. And one of the reasons the Steelers liked Rudolph was because he threw a really good deep ball. And so pairing him, of course, with Pickens and giving him the opportunity <clears throat> to, uh, you know, push the ball down the field, I think was something that, that he felt comfortable doing. So, um, you know, I, again, Pickens, Pickens remarks were interesting because he seemed to credit Rudolph for being able to do a thing that the other two quarterbacks were unable to do. And that's another reason why I think that they should start him again against Seattle. If, if, if you got that deep ball threat in the offense, as we saw, it is a game changer. Creating explosive plays is huge. You have an explosive receiver in Pickens who's been underutilized for whatever reason. And now he has almost 200 yards receiving. Why break up the, you know that relationship? Absolutely. I, I like where you're going. And thanks for the clarity on that. Now, let's continue. I think a very big part of this game, and you're definitely handing a game ball to a guy like George Pickens. You're handing a game ball to a guy like Mason Rudolph. But let's talk about what I feel is the heart and soul of this offense, and it's the dynamic duo the uh, of the guys that I like to call, you know, bang and uh, burn. And that's Najee Harris. And Jalen Warren, these guys really were pushing and hustling and moving the pile 
and blocking. And that's a big thing this week. Uh, the blocking on offense from skill players really came to the forefront. And Jalen Warren with his comment this week, well, I would block for you. And he did. He blocked. And it was amazing what those guys did. They didn't have the splash stats, but Jalen Warren and Najee Harris were really moving the chains and really uh, helping that motor go. Yeah. So two things about that. One, I'm sure you saw it. Jalen Warren absolutely annihilated Cincinnati's linebacker on Calvin Austin's jet sweep touchdown. He, he physically lifted the backer off his feet and then planted them on his back. It was one of the most impressive pancake blocks I've ever seen. I would love to see Jalen Warren in the weight room. That dude must be so strong in the hips and legs. Um, that was one of the most impressive blocks I've seen in a long time. Physically lifted a linebacker off his feet and then pancaked him. So he he backs it up when he says, I'll block it. Um, but I thought that, the, that two things allowed the run game to succeed. Obviously, Warren and Harris ran hard. But uh, one... By hitting that explosive play early to Pickens, it immediately backed Cincinnati off. Now they couldn't play with that low safety. Or they actually, they did. And then the Steelers burned them again on a couple of deep balls. And so Cincinnati had to be much more conscious of defending the back end. And that, you know, anytime that the Steelers can get that extra defender out of the box, the run game is going to be better. But I think it gave the offensive line some confidence too, right? That, that, that knowing that they shook loose a little bit, they got a lead. And that when you get the lead as an offensive lineman, you know you're going to run the football. So they were able to put their hand in the dirt and really get off the ball. I thought that there was a, there was a really nice job up front of getting movement on Cincinnati's defenders. There was there were you know, a decent number of plays where Harrison Warren weren't being contacted until three four yards, you know, past the line of scrimmage. So anytime that you can let the offensive line feel confident. And and they and allow them to to be aggressive with their pass block, and you're going to have a good day running the ball. This is a chicken or the egg type question that I'm going to give you, but when the Steelers lose, there's talk about whether it's the players not executing or the coaching scheme being bad. Now, when you get into a win, you credit the coaching scheme or you credit the players. Is it something that just goes hand in hand? And should we just shut up about that altogether? <laughs> it's all of the above. I mean, it, it's the ability of the coaching staff to scheme up properly. And then it's the ability of them to prepare the players to execute that scheme. And then it's the ability of the players to actually play the game. And it all has to be there. You, you really can't succeed with a bad scheme, nor can you succeed with a good scheme that players can't execute well. We saw we saw that in the passing game on on Saturday night. I mean, there were there were many instances earlier in the season where the Steelers and their much maligned offensive staff drew up really good concepts, but the quarterbacks weren't able to hit them for whatever reason. I, I highlighted one in the last video breakdown that I did on uh, on our SCN YouTube channel of the Steelers against Indianapolis, or I'm sorry, against New England calling a really good cover two beater that they probably should have hit for Cal to Calvin Austin for a, a big play, if not a touchdown. But Mitch Trubisky just bails from the pocket before a clean pocket, one he does not need to bail from uh, before the routes can develop. And he essentially sabotages the play. You didn't see that yesterday with Mason Rudolph. So you, you had the marriage yesterday of good scheme 
and good execution. And that's obviously a, a formula for success. Anything else about the offense before we move on? No, I mean, just 34 points, man. And, and you look at how they created those 34 points. 17 of those points were the direct result of explosive plays to George Pickens. Two that went for touchdowns and a third that set up a field goal right before the half. And then 17 of those points were the direct results of three interceptions by the defense. So they had that sort of perfect combination of explosive plays and turnovers leading to a big scoring day. All right. We are going to be back right after this with some more questions. There's going to be questions about how the defense was able to rise up. And we're going to ask Kevin Smith that big question. Not only who is your dude of the week, but when he knew that the Pittsburgh Steelers had that game in hand. So we're going to do that all right after this on Here We Go, the Steelers Show from Fans First Sports Network's Steel Curtain Network. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, here we go. The Steelers show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis, along with our host, Kevin Smith. And we are here. We go. The Steelers show. We are loving it. Why? Because we're loving talking finally about a Steeler victory for the first time in the month of December. It's been a long time, Kevin, since we've had a chance to do that. It seems like, well, they got to play Cincinnati more because that's the last two victories for that this team, and that's really a, an odd thing. That doesn't happen very much. Yeah, let's just keep playing the North. The Steelers are four and one this year against the AFC North, which I I didn't see coming into the season. Yeah, and they're very good within the conference as well, so that bodes well when you're looking at tiebreakers. The Steelers currently with Buffalo's win. They are currently ninth. We're going to see how everything shakes out as well. Going into week 17 with the standings, you know, some of you are hoping for the tank. Some of you are hoping for the surge. We're going to see what happens. But nonetheless, it all goes down to what the Steelers have to do on their own. And if this is sustainable, winning on the road against some bird teams, Seattle, the Seahawks, and the Ravens of Baltimore. Now, an inter interesting thing about the Ravens game in Baltimore, you might be seeing backups in that game. So you might be cheering for the Baltimore Ravens in week 17. Oh, 100%. You're cheering for them against San Francisco, 
uh, on Monday night. You're cheering for them against whoever they play next week, 100%. You want the Ravens to have that number one seed salted away so that they are resting most of their starters and the Steelers obviously can go down there and feel a little bit better about their chances. And it's the Dolphins in week 17. Oh, okay. So that's so it, the game right there. That's the it, game. It's in Baltimore, though. Okay. It, it's if really Baltimore, it, Miami head to that one with even records, then, then Baltimore will clinch if they win. So that's the game. Yeah, it, it feels really dirty even saying that. Uh, you know, root for the Ravens, just like rooting for the Browns in week 16, which is a really hard thing to do, especially rooting for Joe Flacco. But that's another thing in an entirety. Let's get back into it. The defense really showed up. And, of course, it was powered and led by T.J. Watt. But the move from Patrick Peterson going from cornerback to safety and bringing in Eric Rowe and bringing back Miles Jack, those guys all had significant plays in this game. You had interceptions by both Pat Pete and Eric Rowe and an almost interception by Miles Jack along with the sack from Jack. So... With that being said, Kevin Smith, they really found a way to incorporate guys in new positions or off of the couch in a big way. Yeah. Man, hats off to, to Terrell Austin and that defensive staff because it's really hard to integrate that many new pieces into a defense. And then it would have been one thing to plug them into the scheme the Steelers had been playing. But then to change the scheme, uh, Pittsburgh really confused Jake Browning by lining up in a lot of pre-snap man coverage looks and then post-snap rotating the zone looks. And that's all well and good. You can scheme all that up on the whiteboard and it looks great. But if you can't get the guys to do it, it's worthless. And it's, it's, it's actually worse than worthless. It's detrimental because you get blown coverages and things like that. So, the fact that the Steelers could move Patrick Peterson over to safety, plug in a, a new playing partner in row, uh, put Chandon Sullivan on the field at corner, put Jack in at linebacker, then you lose a Landon Roberts and you got to go back to Mark Robinson at linebacker. There's all these moving pieces. Uh, and, and yet they still were able to come up with a scheme that was different from the one that they ran against Cincinnati a, a month ago. It was awesome, man. The first interception – is just Jake Browning is completely fooled. And you can see him in his reaction afterwards, the way he kind of throws his hands up because he realizes that he's got what he believes is, is a man look. And at the snap, the Steelers rotate to a cover three zone. And Rowe, who looks like he's going to be uh, locked on the slot defender, instead drops all the way under a deep crossing route. There's no way Browning ever expected the Rowe row to be there. He thought, he thought he had Tyler Boyd crossing the field matched up against a linebacker. And he's going to take that seven days a week. And so he throws the Boyd. Looks like Boyd's going to be open. But no, Rowe falls under it and jumps in. And then on the on the, on the the last interception, I mean, it's Alex Highsmith. He's in a three-point stance at the line of scrimmage. Highsmith's got his hand in the ground. And on the snap of the ball, he bails and he retreats into a deep hook zone. And same deal, man. Browning thinks he's got, this time it's a dig route, coming open in the middle of the field. But now it's Highsmith, who I'm sure he never saw, never expected, dropping back uh, and, and picking it off. So really excellent designs by Austin, but even more so, great job of that defensive staff 
getting those guys and all those new pieces involved to execute them. Can you explain a weird phenomenon that seems to happen in the NFL? It usually happens against the Steelers, and it's when a team is depleted at a position and those guys step up big time, whether it be a team with an offensive line that is just, I mean, completely knocked out. They're losing two or three guys on their offensive line. They're playing a four stringer and TJ Watt barely gets a sack against them. And we've seen that happen where the Steelers can't penetrate against a team that is losing starters, you know, big time. And now we've seen it with the Baltimore Ravens in the past, playing the Steelers and they're down a couple corners and they still control the Steelers. They, they can't control the passing game. This time around, the Steelers are gone with four safeties. Four safeties are out. And they still come up with a dominating performance on defense. Now you talked about the scheme and I appreciate that, but is it just a spotlight thing about with a player getting a chance to step up here or why do teams not take advantage of depletion? I think there's a momentum, uh, not momentum, but there's a, a sense of urgency. There's this, this, you know, you've, you're, you've been injected into the starting lineup and you, you prepare with this tremendous sense of urgency. Uh, and, and you're new, so the opponent doesn't know exactly what your strength and weaknesses are going to be. Uh, that whole, I, I think that, that that whole stepping up for the moment is a real thing. And that in the short term, you can get away with that. A, an offensive tackle gets his opportunity to block, uh, to, to start, and he's got to block T.J. Watt. And, and he studies all Watt's tendencies, and, he, and he's just really fired up for the moment, and he plays his best football because this is his shot. But the longer that person has to play, the more they sort of regress to the mean. You, you begin to see why that person is a backup. And I, I think that that's a fairly common phenomenon. I think that will be the challenge with Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph played a great football game on Saturday. But if the Steelers start him in Seattle next week, will he be able to duplicate that or will he be able to play near that level? Time and time again, what we've seen is that the answer is no. And I know that in the first segment, I said that they should start him. And I, and I do believe that. But at, at the same time, it won't be surprising if Rudolph can't quite summon that same effectiveness because now Seattle is going to have a week worth of film on him. So the longer that these backup type guys go, the more the, uh, the greater the chances that they'll be exposed. And that's the big danger the Steelers run into next week is that yes you were able to take all these pieces and plug them in against Cincinnati and get a great result but can you do it again with guys who haven't shown that they can be consistently good uh at the NFL level let's talk about one of those guys and it's Miles Jack I actually expect him to continue to get better and here's the reason why I think he's healthy for the first time in a long time yeah, and I think uh, last year there were there were two problems Miles Jack faced. One, like you just mentioned, he wasn't ever like fully healthy, and two, his playing partner Devin Bush was not a very good football player last season. It'd be very interesting, of course. Now Devin Bush had a lot to say in the last couple of weeks about the struggles of the Steelers. They now go out to Seattle, uh, where Devin Bush is. Well, he's on the team. He's not playing a ton for the Seahawks, but. 
that'll be interesting to see. And the other issue I think with, with Miles Jack too is uh, in the short term, I think the Steelers gave him something that he could handle well. And, uh, and they were able to sort of play to his strengths. They used him as a blitzer. They used him fairly well in coverage. The challenge will be if the Seahawks want to just line up and try and pound the football. Seattle's got a pretty good run game. So will Miles Jack be able to stand up uh, and be a good run defender, especially if Landon Roberts is out? I don't know what Roberts' prognosis is, but Roberts is such a good run defender. And, and now the challenge will be, can the Steelers defend the run in Seattle with Jack and Michael Walker at linebacker if that's in fact the case? That'll be a big challenge for him going forward. It absolutely will. What else on defense before we move to due to the week? Uh, I just want to talk, say real quick, I, I really think the Steelers saw the value of Patrick Peterson uh, against Cincinnati, moving him to safety, just his second career start at safety, getting three interceptions, three turn. Now the one, the interception Peterson had was gift wrapped for him. I don't know what the heck Jake Browning was doing there. Uh, just tossing that ball up carelessly into the end zone on a third down play where he clearly should have thrown it out of bounds. But still, man, the fact that the Steelers didn't have any blown coverages, the only, the only coverage that they, that they blew all day long was the long touchdown pass that the Bengals hit to T Higgins. And that was Michael Walker. They were in a cover two zone and Michael Walker, rather than sit in the hook curl, chased the route to the flat and in cover two, the corners, the flat defender. So Joey Porter's sitting out there. Michael Walker chases a flat route. It was just a simple curl flat. Or, uh, or slant flat, the same route the Steelers scored on on the second play of the game to George Pickens. And Walker kind of blows the coverage there, and there's nobody to defend the slant, and he goes to the house. But other than that, man, the Steelers were, were so solid against the pass all day long. And I have to attribute a lot of that to Patrick Peterson getting the young guys lined up and in the right position. So, well, I think, I think Steelers fans, generally speaking, have underrated his contributions this year. I think he's been a great mentor to Joey Porter. And obviously, uh, he, he was huge to the success of that defense on Saturday. And we talked about this in the offseason, that Patrick Peterson could get a second contract with the Steelers as a safety. And I don't think you're going to see him move back to corner anytime soon. Not many people can make that jump. Have you seen it happen very often? I mean, Rod Woodson, man, that's the name everybody always brings up in. He revitalized his career after he left Pittsburgh by moving to safety. It takes a special player. Well, Rod Woodson's a Hall of Famer. Patrick Peterson's going to be a Hall of Famer. Guys with high football IQs and great ability and a, and a, and a, a huge understanding of the game, they can, they can make that transition. I don't think it's a transition that most guys can make, but guys like Woodson and Peterson can. If you could put it in a layman's terms, how what is the big difference between corner and safety? It's the inside picture versus the outside picture. Re seeing the game from outside the box is so much easier than seeing it from inside the box. When you're in, when you're a safety, right, you, you have to be able to read guards, tight ends. Uh, you've got to be able to diagnose the muddle that is you have 17, 18 bodies, oftentimes confined into a tight space, moving in lots of different directions at once. You're, you're the uh, quickness with which you have to process information, communicate with teammates, et cetera. You have to be able to do that so much faster. A lot of times at corner, especially with the Steelers, they've been such a man heavy team this year. You got one job, 
You line up on the outside, you focus on the dude in front of you. And that's your job. If you're a safety, you, you have multiple reads. You have to communicate uh, pre and post snap what's going on. You got to be a physical player because now you're expected to drop down into the box and be a run defender. There's just so much more information to process. And it's so much more complicated processing that information because of the picture that you see versus the corner position. So now I'm not saying it's necessarily easier than playing corner. Corner might be the hardest position to play uh, you know, on the, on the entire defense because of the skill set that it takes to defend these amazing receivers one-on-one. But the mental processing at safety is just so much more. Very good. Once again, a clinic from the coach. Let's go ahead and move forward to dude of the week. I have my own very special dude of the week. It is a Pittsburgh Steeler, and we are going to go ahead and talk about that. But, Kevin, if you have multiple dudes of the week, I'm fine with that, too. Well, I was going to say, Brian, with, with your permission, let's let's be a little generous with dudes of the week because we haven't had one for three weeks. We've got dudes to spare. We've got dudes in our pocket. We right do. Now. And it's not my permission. This is this is a <laughs> joint show. <laughs> so, I mean, so we got some obvious dudes, right? Rudolph and, and, Pickett and Pickens. I mean, those guys are obvious dudes. But I think on the defensive side of the ball, there are some dude-worthy guys for their, 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 their new guys, like Jack and Rowe, Peterson moving to safety. The contributions those guys made were huge. And uh, the Steelers, you know, that, that victory would not have been as easy or even possible without those contributions. So between, between that cast of characters, I think we got some very worthy dudes. Yeah, I think we do. And, of course – George Pickens has got to get a dude of the week. And you're right. We do have him to spare. Mason Rudolph has to get a dude of the week. I like what you're saying. So let's give all of, we're not, they're not all newcomers, but let's give the guys that uh, stepped up, either moved in or moved over. And that would be Peterson, Rowe, and of course, Jack. But I've got some two special ones here too on the Steelers that really stepped up. And you're going to be surprised at one of them. But then when you think about it, you're not going to be surprised. But the first one, I already hinted at it. Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren gets a dude of the week for me because of those comments he made early this week. He is in Steeler Nation, the personification of team player right now. And I think that showed in that game without a huge stat line. Yeah, I, it's it's impossible not to love that guy as a Steeler fan. And for a guy whose attitude certainly fits Pittsburgh, he's a perfect match. Let's give another due to the week to another guy whose attitude is the personification of Pittsburgh and what the culture is supposed to be. And it's Alex Highsmith. I thought Alex Highsmith had a fantastic game, but he's overshadowed in this game. One by TJ Watt being TJ Watt and won by the newcomers or the transition players. So I want to shout out to Alex Heisman. Yeah. Second time this year, he's had a sack and an interception in the same game. That's pretty awesome. He's just an amazing, an amazing player that gets overshadowed. And people were some weeks say that, you know, he's just not showing up whatsoever. I thought it was a fantastic game. I want to go ahead and shout out to uh, one more player, not really due to the week, but I was very critical of a few players last week on offense mostly. Of course, Pickens, 
I was critical of Johnson. I was critical of Najee Harris. And I was really critical of Pat Fryermuth too. All four of those guys, in a way, really showed up in this game. Now, we talk all the time, well, just since the game, but we've been talking about Jalen Warren's block. But that Calvin Austin run is not going to happen without the Warren block or the Fryermuth block on that very same play. So I want to say that even though he did not get a single target, I like what Fryermuth had did. I liked what Najee Harris did in this game. And what I liked about it was, again, I don't know what it is against the Bengals, but he takes a three-yard carry and makes it 10. And he's able to just keep on moving the pile. I thought Deontay Johnson played with more heart. And Pickens, I don't know what is going through his head right now, but he did step up big time and had the game of his career. Yeah, all of the above. It was really a team win. I, I think of, of all the victories this season where that, that notion jumps out, this was maybe the, the best team win for the Steelers all year long. And a special shout-out to George Pickens because the holiday-themed green and red mouthpieces were fantastic. But I don't think I ever saw him wear the red one. <laughs> I did not notice. I did not notice. You didn't notice the mouthpieces hanging from his helmet? I did not. I oh my not. gosh, you got to go back and look at it. I mean, entire game, green and red, hanging down from the face mask. When it was time <laughs> to put it in, the green one went in. Oh, I mean, for an astute guy that studies film, you missed the green and red. Yeah, I don't know, man. Those, those, those kind of details sometimes escape me, so I'll have to go See, back and look. That's the difference between you and I. You notice the stuff that really matters, and me, <laughs> I notice <laughs> the superficial. My friends will say, like, yo, did you see the cleats that guy was wearing? I'll be like, no, I was not, <laughs> not looking at the cleats. Like, I'm not Sergio Valente. I, I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I know you wore Sergio Valente jeans back in the 80s. I was going to say, you dated yourself with that reference. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you got it. I got uh, it. Yeah, I'm old like you, so I got it. It's time to get on out of here, Kevin. I've... Uh, a few things as we wrap up, make sure you check out Steel Curtain Network as the Steelers season is definitely heating up. There is a definite playoff race here. It is going to be hot, hotly contested. It's going to be interesting. There could be, you know, questions at quarterback. There are good questions, bad questions, but there's always going to be questions and we're going to cover it all here on Steel Curtain Network. Make sure you check out KT Smith on the NFL affiliate here at Fans First Sports Network. But most importantly, Kevin, this is our fourth season doing this together. And I can't think of a better friend that I've never met in person <laughs> than Kevin Smith. And I cherish these uh, these episodes with you. Thank you for uh, being beside me every single week here. Blessings to your family, a safe and healthy, Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. Same to you, Brian. I, I, I really enjoy this, and uh, best to your family. I know you got some sickness in your family right now, so I hope everybody is okay with that, and you guys have a great holiday. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. And for you listening, whether you're driving down the road, whether you're working the late shift, or whether you just need your Steeler fix, 
thank you so much. We cannot be successful without you. We don't get this platform without you. We don't get an opportunity to talk about our favorite team all of our lives without you. Thanks for sharing it with us. Whether you agree 100% or whether you agree with us 10% of the time, we value you so much. Keep those tweets coming in or X's, I guess what they're called now. Keep all those correspondence coming in and keep on finding Steel Curtain Network wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. I hope you had a great one. I guess today is officially Boxing Day if it's Tuesday. And so enjoy your Boxing Day and those those uh, special discounts at the store at Target and Walmart after the fact. Kevin? Thanks, Brian. Send everybody out there. Absolutely, man. And uh, and let's, uh, let's see if the Steelers got a couple more in them. L- let's see it. Kevin, there's one more piece of business, and it's to keep your feet on the ground. And keep reaching for those hypocycloids.